What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my co-host Curtis on the other end of the line. And uh, we obviously did not have a game this week, guys, so there's nothing to recap from a game perspective like we would normally do on a Monday show. But even with that being the case, we definitely did not want to leave you guys hanging because we know a lot of you look forward to some Georgia football talk for the commute to or from work or maybe while you're working out or where it is that you typically listen to the show. We know everyone has their own routine. But uh, we we definitely want to leave you guys hanging, kind of let you down there. So we put our heads together and decided that today we would take a look at the stretch run ahead of us here, last five games on our regular season schedule. Uh, As, of course, you guys all know that we're 7-0 right now. We all know that. But there is a lot of football left to be played, and there are at least a few potential landmines that could blow up in our faces if we don't continue to play at a high level. So today on the show... We're going to go ahead and take a look at each of those five remaining games on the regular season schedule and rank them from least to most difficult. Trying to get a little creative here with no game to recap. But first, before we get to that good stuff, uh, just a couple quick reminders for you guys. You can follow us on Twitter, at Glory underscore UGA. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and everything that's going on with the season. Uh, you can also email us, so that's a little easier for you guys. That address is GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. Also, for some of our newer listeners, I know if you guys listen to the show on a regular basis, you're probably tired of hearing us always say this, but for anyone that might be new out there, you guys can find us on a, a variety of different podcasting platforms. You know, Definitely, you can find us on dogsportsradio.com or the Dogsports Radio uh, app. You just go to the App Store and download that app, and it's right there for you guys, part of the vSporto Radio Network. You can also find us on uh, the big ones out there, iTunes, SoundCloud, you got the Stitcher and TuneIn app, so hopefully... At least one of those works out well for you guys. If not, let us know and see if we can kind of figure out something that would work for you. But uh, and if you also get a chance, guys, it would definitely help us out. Well, we've, we've been getting some good uh, ratings and reviews. Whatever you think about the show, it doesn't have to be a, a great rating, but whatever uh, you think about the show, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. So kind of just rate and review. Uh, if you like the show, that's awesome. Let us know so we can kind of continue doing whatever it is that you like. If there's something that you'd like, to, like us to do a little bit more often, let us know that too because... Our goal always every week is to give you guys the content that you are craving. So hit us up there, give us a rating review, and let us know what you think. But uh, all right, before Kurt, before we get into our discussion of our stretch run here, we're going to get that in just a second. I do want to rewind to Friday's midseason superlative show just for a quick second because we had a few people uh, out there in the social media sphere that took a little bit of an issue with some of our omissions. And I totally respect where everyone's coming from. And I kind of responded uh, on Twitter over the week and kind of gave my take on why we left a few people out. But, Kurt, I also wanted to get your take on it let you respond. So the big one that uh, people were upset about, I don't want to say upset, it's a strong word, but people that were they were kind of honest about leaving off the list was DeAndre Swift. We had a couple people say that he should definitely have been the best freshman or he should have been the most explosive, even the most surprising player. So, Kurt, let's, let's start with the best freshman. If you had to redo... Would you put DeAndre Swift on your list as best freshman, or would you stick with Jake Fromm? Um, I would stick with Jake Fromm because Jake Fromm has more pressure on him to do things compared to what Swift has to do. Swift comes in as the third back um, right now where, you know, Jake Fromm is the quarterback for this offense right now. He's trying to be the leader, trying to, you know, lead this offense as a true freshman, um, have control of the huddle, you know, make all the right calls at the line and pre um, and then, you know, pre play. And then not only that, but, you know, everything he has to do where, you know, there's the pressure isn't on Swift. I mean, when he's got two guys ahead of him, like Nick and Nick and Sony and even, you know, Harry and Holyfield, um, when you have some of that experience ahead of you, there's not as much pressure on you where there is on um, Jake Fromm. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. Look, DeAndre Swift, 
if anyone thinks that he's the best freshman, I, it's it's hard to argue. Maybe, I think if you said most talented freshman, that that might very well be the case. I guess it's kind of semantics here is how you approach the superlative, the, the question, I guess. And for me, when I'm talking about best freshman, I, I guess I'm thinking about who's made which freshman has made the biggest impact to this point. Uh, and DeAndre Swift has been fantastic. I mean, there's no getting around. He's been fantastic when he's gotten opportunities. And he, he has made an impact on this team. That's clear. But I would say while he's been very, very good and he has made an impact, it hasn't necessarily been an outsized impact compared to guys like you like you said uh, with Jake Jake Fromm. He was your pick. My pick was Andrew Thomas. Both those guys have played essentially every down. That's that's uh, I should say every meaningful down. Okay, they really have. Well, Swift has gotten a lot of time, but he's not necessarily he's not really playing every meaningful down or not really anything close to it. Now he's definitely made an impact, and I think he's a, a superstar in the making. He's going to be a great player for us down the road. And he's been really good for us right now, but. For me, the way I'm looking at it, best freshman, I'm looking at maybe the, the freshman who's made the biggest impact. So maybe we yeah, could have I mean, phrased honest, it a little differently. If they were looking at Pete, the best athlete or the best overall talent, I actually don't even think of Swift. I mean, I would go start looking at defense like people like Gibbs and stuff, who if they just have so much ahead of them right now and dealing with a little bit of injury. But I think if you're talking about the best freshman athlete or player overall, isn't it's actually probably neither of them. I think, yeah, I mean, LeCount, LeCount might be that guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. if, I mean, if yeah, but I guess if we're talking way, offense, not just Swift. Yeah. But like you said, if you're looking at the, the freshman that's done the most impact, meaningful impact, you know, like I agree, it's either from, in my opinion, or like you said, Thomas, because Thomas is in there every meaningful down. Yeah. But I mean, like, I'm, not, not, I'm not trying to take issue with people. I mean, like I said, Swift, Swift was my second choice for most explosive behind Terry. Yeah, that, that was the next one. So yeah, there were a couple people in there saying like he absolutely should be the most explosive player. And, I, I get that. He has made some huge plays for us. And again, it, I, it comes down to how do you look at it? Because you looked at it from the guy who's made the, who's been the most productively explosive player. Like, who's made the I mean, biggest yeah, plays. I, mean, I, I think it was at one point Terry had like eight or nine catches for five touchdowns. And he's averaging, what, 23, 24 yards a, a, a reception right now? I mean, it's crazy exactly. what Terry's averaging. And that's why I'm saying that. I mean, while Swift has come in and made some big plays, Terry has also converted these into touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, and Swift, which, especially in the red zone and things like that, which were our biggest problem. And Swift has been explosive. He is an explosive athlete. But even you and I, I think you and I looked at the most explosive question differently. And we talked about that on, on Friday's show when we were going through all this. You looked at it as, like I said, who's been the most productive explosive. Like who's who's putting up big plays after big plays. Whereas I looked at it from like an athletic standpoint. Who's the most explosive athlete on the team? And that's the way I chose Miko Harbin. Miko has not been as productive as Terry Godwin. I mean, so from that perspective, I can't argue with it at all. I just... I guess if I lined them up and just looked at them like like the old meat markets, okay, who's the most explosive yeah, I mean, athlete? I agree. Me, Cole was probably the most explosive person in, in, um, in general on the offense. But I went with Terry because the thing is, whenever the ball's in his hands, it's going for yardage. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I can't argue with that at all. So, I mean, just like some of those catches in the last couple of games where he's just catching, you know, little 10, 15-yard passes over the middle and turning them into huge big games or even touchdowns. I mean, that right there is the definition of explosives. Yeah. In my, in my, in my yeah. opinion. And, and anyone trying to say that DeAndre Swift has been the most explosive player, it's hard to take issue with that because he has been explosive. He's been a really productive player for us when he's gotten opportunities. I mean, he's got the highest yards per carry average with all of our running backs by a pretty wide margin. Now, part of that's because he hasn't, hasn't had as many carries, but still. And he's not he's running been, through the tackle and stuff. Right, you know, true. So, and we're using him, right. but we're using him how he should be used right yeah, now. Yeah, we're using him correctly, which is nice to see, I would yeah. say. So, I mean, like, anyone who says he's explosive, like, you're not wrong. He is. I just wouldn't say that he's the most explosive, even from a production standpoint or from, like, just a pure athletic standpoint. I would go Miko from a pure athletic standpoint, and I'm with you. I think Terry right now, and I know he's gotten more opportunities, but still he's put up more explosive plays than Swift does. Maybe not per capita, 
uh, or I guess that would not be the right terminology in that case, but on average, but still he's, he's, Terry's been the most explosive playmaker for us in terms of actually produ- producing on the field. Uh, the next one here, so I had a couple of people also say that DeAndre Swift should be our most surprising player on the offensive side of the ball. Would you, if you had a chance to go back and redo this, would you agree with that or would you stick with, with I think we both had Kendall Baker. I would stick with Kendall Baker because the thing is, Kendall hadn't done much at all since he's gotten into this program. Um, you know, we had hopes for him, but he never really had made us made a stride to get to the starting lineup. And I don't know, you know, no offense to some of these people on social media and stuff. I don't know if these guys watched Swift's highlights, senior highlights, right. just his junior and senior highlights. Because if you watch that, you came in expecting him to be a big play, play, big play guy. I mean, his spin moves. I mean, they, some of those moves he's made it this season. I mean, that's what he made a living on in high school. That's all he did: spin moves like that, catching the ball in the backfield, cutting. I mean, that's what he's done his whole career. But I mean, Kendall Baker was a lot like uh, Lamont Gilliard, who was recruited as a defensive lineman, or you know, that's where he yeah. played the majority of the time in high school. So I mean, that's why to me he's more surprising because he's made the transition and he's also moved from tackle to guard and finally has found himself a niche to be to play. Yeah, that was that was essentially my response too. It's okay. Look, yes, uh, it, I guess you could say anytime a freshman comes in and, and makes a good solid impact, that could be somewhat surprising. You, it's it's really hard to to predict. You could say that about Thomas. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to predict. Yeah, you could you could say that about Andrew Thomas too. But it, I, I get what you, what somebody was saying. It's hard to predict somebody coming from high school, no matter how good they are in high school, coming in the SEC year one and making a big impact, especially when you got guys like Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb ahead of you. But you're exactly that was my response. What you just said was exactly right. Like. DeAndre Swift was a borderline five-star. I think he was the highest-ranked four-star in the 247 composite last year. I think that's where he ended up. So he was a borderline five-star prospect, whereas Kendall Baker, his entire career has been resurrected from the dead this year. Like he was, like I said on last week's show, like to me he wasn't. He was like less than an afterthought coming into this to season. Me, he, he was honestly a redshirt candidate. I thought he, I thought he might or just be a, a, a transfer. Yeah, transfer. yeah, I thought he was a transfer candidate. I was like, I mean. I honestly just at times forgot that he was even on the team. He was just not even in the in, remotely in the equation for me. So like when you're trying to compare, okay, yeah, you got a true freshman coming in, making an impact that maybe we didn't expect him to make with, you got, with, with the running backs we already have on the roster. I get that. But when you're talking about Kendall Baker, who was not even on the radar, I mean, I'm dead serious. This guy's career was resurrected from the dead, whereas DeAndre Swift was a borderline five-star running back coming out of high school, a highly recruited guy. To me, I, I – I, I'm still going to stick with Kendall Baker there. I think he's far more surprising than than what I than the the idea that DeAndre Swift could come in and make an impact in year one. I think Swift. I, actually, I kind of expected Swift to get some carries this year. Well, and, and I also have to say, I think we're asking a lot more of Kendall Baker than we are Swift. I mean, like sure. you said, Swift is, is is being used in situational times where you know Baker's in there every play trying to do yeah, something. He's taking all the meaningful snaps to left guard. Absolutely. And the last one here before we get into uh, our conversation about our last five games here down the stretch. Uh, there's a couple people that uh, took a little bit of issue with the idea that Nick Chubb, who coming into this this past weekend, was leading the SEC in rushing. Some people had an issue with us not having him as the most indispensable player on offense. So would you redo that, Kurt, or would you stick with what you had on Friday? I would stick with Kenley because the fact is, I mean, look at game one and Chubb also come, uh, you know, those first couple carries before we really got Kenley in there. It was same as it was a lot of the same as last year. I mean, look, last year he wasn't you know Nick Chubby was, and he didn't have a great yards per carry average that he had that we had known for him to have. And we're seeing that in game one, and even in the beginning of the Notre Dame game, that didn't change for not only him but all the other running backs till Kenley got in there. And I think that really solidified our offensive line. I mean, that made him look that much better. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I and look, I, it, it comes back yet again. Here's the same pattern. How do you look at the question? To me, most indispensable is a guy that if he gets hurt, if he's not in there, we take a significant step back. And I think yeah, I mean we, we're so deep at the running back position. Exactly. I mean, look at all our guys are having high high carry percentages. I mean, they've all done, they've all been, or they've all had meaningful carries and done, you know, have gotten experience. Where that's not the case on the offensive line. Yeah, I look, guys. I love Nick Chubb. Anyone who says that he's the most indispensable player, it's hard to argue that because he's. An incredible player, and he's an incredible guy, incredible leaders, an incredible team. He's incredible all the way around. He's just, he's the real deal. I love the guy. He's one of my favorite dogs of all time. Love him. But you're right about the running back. I mean, we have, what's the conversation in the past couple weeks? We're five deep at running back. We're a five headed monster. I, it's so, if, if Chubb, God forbid, something happened and he went down, of course we would miss him, but we have plenty of other options there to pick up the slack, and I don't know how much. We would really lose at the running back position when you got guys like DeAndre Swift, when you got Tony Michelle, when you've got Holyfield and Harry. I mean, you never want to lose your starter, the guy who's leading the SEC in rushing coming into the week. But I think we could handle that loss much more so than we could if Kinley went down. Because we saw what life was like without Solomon Kinley for the first week and a half, especially that first week against Appalachian State. And then, like we said last week with Notre Dame, when he was in there, there was a significant difference in the productivity of our offense and our running game when he was in there versus Dyshawn Sims. So we've seen what life is like without uh, Solomon Kinley, a guy that has the one thing that we don't really have in spades on the interior, and that's size. He's the one guy that's, that we, we, we have a couple guys with size, but they're not ready. Some of those freshmen. But Kinley's ready, and he's got size. And if we lost him, I don't know if our offensive line would be as productive as it has been to this point. I just don't think that it would be. Okay, well, let's go ahead now, and uh, let's start talking about this stretch run staring us directly in the face. Now, down the stretch to close regular season, we all, you guys all know this, but just to recap, we have Florida, obviously, coming up this week. We got South Carolina after that, then Auburn, Kentucky, and we wrap it all up with Tech. Kurt, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to let you rank those five games from least to most difficult. And as you run through your list, I'll tell you where I agree or disagree. Does that kind of make sense? Yes, yeah, fair. All right. So let's go ahead and let's start at the bottom here, man. So if you're looking at those last five games, which one would you say right now, based on where we are, would be the least difficult? Uh, I'm starting with Kentucky. Yep, I agree. Tell me why. I think they're extreme. They're, what, five and two, I think, right now, or six and two. Five and two, I think, yeah. Very uninspired, five and two. Um, You know, they just got demolished by Mississippi State. Um, You know, they almost lost it. They almost lost to Eastern Michigan. They've just, you know, they're very uninspiring. And, that, and, you know, that's why I'm not that. I think they're – and it's the timing. We're playing them at home where last year we got them there. And um, so that's why I really put them last. Yeah, for me, like, and I talked about this a little bit. We were doing our picks last week. Kentucky, yes, they were 5-1 and one coming into the into the week. And they probably – some people would say they could have been 6-0. They should have been 6-0 because they gave Florida 14 points by not covering receiver on two different plays to blow that game. But if you say that, you also got to look back and say, okay, well, against Southern Miss, against Eastern Michigan, against Eastern Kentucky, those are three games against significantly inferior opponents where they, they won those three games by a combined 20 points and only outgained those three teams by a combined 77 total yards. This is not a juggernaut team. I know they were 5-1 and one coming to last week, but I think Mississippi State kind of showed who Kentucky really is. Now, Kentucky's probably not that. I mean, what was it, 45-7? They're probably not 38 points worse than Mississippi State, but I think Mississippi State showed everyone that Kentucky, while they're a decent, solid team, they're not a true championship contender. They, they were a, they were a fraud if people were sitting here saying that they could cont- they could compete for any kind of title. Uh, one thing that I always like to do when I'm trying to compare teams 
is I take their total yards that they've gained and I look at the total yards that they've given up on the year and I just subtract that. So I, I take I subtract the total yards they've given up from the total yards they've gained. I think that, that's a pretty solid measure. And it's not perfect because it doesn't really factor in uh, strength of schedule and who you played and all that kind of thing, where you played. But still, it gives you a, a fairly good idea of how good your team really is. And right now, Kentucky is minus 399 yards on the year, which clearly is not great. Uh, they they want to kind of lean on on their on their ground game, you know, with Benny Snell, with Stephen Johnson at quarterback. He's a decent passer, but they really want to run the football. But right now, they're only 97th nationally rushing offense. Uh, defensively, they're giving up 5.67 yards per play, which is 77th nationally. And just to give you some context, that would put them like right there with the Temples and the Illinois of the world. So that's that's who Kentucky is defensively. They're like they're the equivalent of Temple or Illinois right now, at least statistically. Uh, and here's the other thing. Down the stretch, here's one of the reasons why I had Kentucky. Because I, I know that South Carolina, I'm sorry, Kentucky, they went to Columbia and beat South Carolina, right? Yeah. So some people might be like, well, how could you possibly say Kentucky's the least difficult game when they when they beat South Carolina in South Carolina? I get that. But that was earlier in the year. And it, it's different circumstances when we play South Carolina versus when we play Kentucky. Because when we play South Carolina, it could be a potential trap game sandwiched there between Florida and Auburn. Whereas Kentucky, that's the last SEC game of the year. Very, very well could be. And we don't know for sure how it's going to play out. We don't know who, who we're going to be, who we're going to lose to, who Kentucky's going to be, who they're going to lose to. But Kentucky, that last SEC game, which is senior night, that very well could potentially be the game to clinch the SEC East. So there is no way in hell we're going to be overlooking that game, right? Yeah. I just I just don't see that at all. So I'm with you. I got Kentucky there in the five hole. Who would you have next sitting there at number okay, four? Well, next, I've got Georgia Tech. Ooh, okay, okay. Now tell me why Tech, because I disagree with you on this one. Well, the difference is that I think you could put South Carolina there, but I think that, like you said just a second ago, South Carolina is closer to a trap game than Tech is. Um, Tech beat That's us fair. last year at home. Um, I think we've got something to prove to them, where South Carolina is more sandwiched in between those two huge games. And that's not the case with Tech. I mean, we got them at the end of the season. Um, like I said, we've got our revenge. And once again, they went out there and, you know, tearing apart the hedges again. And, you know, just hearing that for a year with Paul Johnson's loud mouth that they run the state and they're state champs and everything. I think, I mean, it drives our team that much more to where it's not. And um, I also think in year two, Kirby and his staff have finally, you know, they, I mean, they had heard about and seen it at a little bit of the triple option, but they never truly faced it and went against it. And I think we have a team better built to face it this year. I do think you're on to something in terms of our team being focused for that game and wanting that game because even you just going through that, talking about how they mess with the hedges and Paul John talking about them being state champs, just hearing you say that is making me viscerally angry. Uh, right now, my, my heart's racing right now. Uh, so if that's happening to me, you know our team is feeling the exact same thing, but maybe even more more intense. Um, so I, I do get that. And I, I, I guess what you're saying is that you think South Carolina are situa- situationally South Carolina is a tougher game than Tech, just where it falls. Is that more or less what you're looking at there? Um, yeah, I think that. And I mean, I, I think Tech is the more difficult system to stop. But South Carolina, it's also the timing where I think we're going to be a little beat up after the Florida game. Dude, just the whole situation. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, and, I, I, and it's hard to argue with when you come come at it from that framework. But, I mean, do you really think – South Carolina is a better football team than Georgia Tech right now. If they lined up and played, who would win? You know, I honestly don't know. I think probably Toss you know, Tech would. I think Tech would win because uh, South Carolina's uh, rush defense is not that good. 
But like I said, I mean, it all it, it can happen any Saturday. I mean, look, NC State right now, if they beat if they beat Clemson, they could win the, their ACC division. I mean, uh, South Carolina beat NC State. Yeah, that's they did. They did, which I still don't know how that happened. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, we don't know how it happened, but look, anything can happen. Yeah, no, you're right. Anything can happen. I, I do agree that situationally, South Carolina is a much more uh, – concerning game because the way it's just sandwiched there between Florida and Auburn because you know obviously we're going to get jacked up for Florida we want to kind of exercise our demons there and Auburn we all know how big of a game that's going to be so and here's a little South Carolina kind of sitting sandwiched right between there that that is that is the definition of a trap game right I mean it really is that is the definition so I I get where you're coming from there and you're right I don't disagree that our team wants to destroy Georgia Tech and I hope to God that we murder them I really do hope we wipe them off, off the face of the earth but I, I just I think Tech's a better football team. They can they concern me more than South Carolina. I mean, if you look at it, South Carolina, going back to how I, I one of the ways I measure things, they're right now they're minus two hundred fifty nine yards on the year. If you take their total yards game versus total yards surrender, they're minus two fifty nine. Um, here's the thing with South Carolina, and tell me if you disagree. Like I thought coming into the season, that offense would be very potent, but they just haven't been as dangerous offensively as I thought they would be. Right? Well, they were dangerous until Debo got hurt. They still only have one four hundred plus yard games on the year. I mean, they they, they were they well, yeah, were better the with Debo. They're very opportunistic, and I mean, they are able to put up points and like you know, I mean, just like you know, you're talking about overall yards. I mean, you had Debo against NC State taking kicks off, you know, and even uh, yeah. against Missouri, they had special teams for a difference too. Yeah, before yeah, I think before he got hurt, he had at least two returns for a touchdown, right? Samuel did. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're right. They did take a major step back with Debo Samuel getting hurt, and then they lost Rico Dowdell, their starting running back, and that's a big loss too. Uh, Jay Bentley, like a quarterback, I mean, he's been good. He has been good, but he hasn't been spectacular in his sophomore season. I thought he'd probably take a little bit of, of, of a bigger step forward this year. He's been good. He's been solid. He's got he's completed sixty percent of his passes. I think he's, but he's only eighth in the league right now in the SEC in quarterback rating. He's only got one three hundred yard passing game. I know he doesn't have great weapons around him with Debo out. I mean, but I don't know. Brian Edwards is a pretty good receiver. Hayden Hurst probably the best tight end in the league. So I think he has weapons. He just he's been he's been pretty good. He hasn't he, he's been a solid player. He hasn't been as good as I thought he'd be this year. Um, but so while, but while their offense though I'd say hasn't been as good as I thought. I think defensively they've been surprisingly decent. Like they haven't been good defensively, but they haven't been a train wrecker either. And I thought they might be because uh, right now they're they're in the top half of the SEC uh, in yards per play surrender. They're six na- they're sixth in the league right now in yards per play given up. So they're they're all right. They're just not great so I don't know I mean I, th- I think you're right to have South Carolina ahead of Tech I'm sorry ahead of Kentucky because even though Kentucky beat them in Williams Bryce I get that but that was the game where Debo Samuel gets hurt that's a game where Bryce and Williams got hurt and they just kind of didn't know how to respond to them now they've kind of adjusted they kind of figure out who they are without those guys and they're, they're definitely kind of getting on a little bit more of a role here but I don't know I mean I think I might have Tech a little bit higher and I'll get to them in a second here all right so you got you got Tech fourth there who you got South Carolina third yeah, I've got South Carolina third. I, you know, I more or less just went through it all before. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You got South Carolina third, so that leaves us with Florida and Auburn. So, is it? I mean, Auburn's number one, right? No. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Explain yourself, sir. I Tell me for a loop, Florida. man. I went with Florida first because of history. I mean, it's Jacksonville, it's Florida. Both teams are coming off a bye week. They're allowed to get a little bit more healthy. And it's just more the fact that history shows itself the better team does not always win. In general or in Jacksonville? In Jacksonville. I mean, 
down there, you know, how many times have we been the better team come in there and just falling flat on our butts? Too many. Um, Too many. Yeah, and, 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 you know, that's the thing. I think right now until we go out there and prove ourselves, it's in our head at the same time, especially it's in all most of the fan base's head. And that's why I think we just have to go down there and prove ourselves wrong. But, I mean, even then, I mean, there's just too much on the line. I mean, I think Auburn's a better team, and it's a way game, yes, but um, Jacksonville's a way game, too, in my, in my opinion. And at the same time, you know, it's just we've got to go out there and prove it. And I think Florida has a little something extra to play for. I mean, you know, everyone's down on them right now, and this is a chance for them to make a statement. Do you really buy into the the idea that what's happened in history years ago plays an impact that will play a role in who wins this Saturday really do you buy that I do until we prove ourselves different I mean it's it's taken I mean so far we've slowly done it like against Mississippi State you know that was a game where you're not sure what would happen all right we win that okay good then you're expecting a big letdown going into Tennessee because of history well we went out there and took care of business and had the business attitude so we're having to I'm it's I'm more or less taking a prove me wrong mentality and that's how I'm going to feel with Florida until we go down there and beat them. I don't necessarily disagree with how you're approaching. Because I, I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I kind of feel the same way. Like I, I know that we are a significantly better football team. We really are. I mean, and I've been breaking down this game. We had the bye weeks. So I've been able to really dig into this game deeply. I've gone back and watched every game Florida's played this year multiple times the past week and a half here. And like we are, we are a much better football team. But you're right; that doesn't mean we're going to win. We've been the much better football team many times. I don't know if it's been this big of a gap, though. I'll say that I don't know if the gap between us and Florida has been this big in recent years. In this, some of those years where we've been better and lost, but the fact remains, we are the better football team. But I still kind of have this. I'm with you. I kind of have this, like, oh my god, like yeah, we should definitely win this football game. There's no reason we should lose it. But I, I'll, I guess I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and hold my breath until it happens. Right? Yeah. And I guess that is based on his like Intel. Yeah, it's well, weird. Auburn's a great team, but their their stadium's not. It's not known as a super loud home field advantage type stadium. Um, I think they're better defensively and better offensively. But at the same time, I just think uh, the timing of the Florida game. I mean, it, it's not really till after we get beat Florida that we're really on track to win the SEC East. Um, I think we're on track right now. But I think once we well, if beat we beat Florida, Florida, we might. We are. I mean, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. We are, we will put ourselves in an extraordinarily good position to win the East. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying. I think just Florida, you know, coming off the bye week, you know, they're going to try to do everything they can to get a win. Um, and it's just one of those things. I mean, I think Auburn, we know who Auburn is, but right now Florida is just so insistent. You could see a really good defensive team and you come out with a great game plan. You just don't know what you're getting. I fully expect Florida to play their best game of the year on Saturday. I fully expect that. And that's what I'm that. saying. I mean, their best game is still very competitive compared to with Auburn. Um, I, I mean, think they're very beatable. Yeah. I mean, we're the number we're the number three team in the country. They feel like they own this series, and they kind of, I guess, ah, sucks to I mean, say. You're even hearing it from Spurrier, who's talking about, yeah. you know, that Georgia just until they show him wrong, he, he has he yeah. has no faith in that he expects. Yeah, Florida, I mean, Florida, Florida believes that they go out there and they just win this game. And we got we're the number th- three team in the country. They they, they they've won the SEC East the past two years, and now it looks like everyone in the country is talking about how that we're we're the team not only this year for the East, but we're the team of the SEC East future. Like we're the one that's going to dominate the league and the, or the conference or I should say the division and leading for years down the road and how their coach, you know, he's, he's not on the hot seat, but people aren't happy with him. Like you, it's just setting up situationally for them to come out and play their best game of the year. I, I can't say they 100% will, but I, I, I really feel like they're going to come out and they're going to come firing. I mean, guns blazing in this game and we're, we have to expect their a game and we're going to have to expect an early barrage and we're going to have to, we're going to have to respond in kind with our a game. 
I firmly believe that. But I, intellectually, though, like I don't like this idea that okay, we've lost in the past when we had better teams means that that's going to weigh on this game. I intellectually, I say no way. That, that doesn't matter. This is an entirely different years, entirely different teams, a different Florida team, it's a different Georgia team. That what happened in the past doesn't matter. Like intellectually, that's where I am. But you're right when it comes down to like what's in my heart and kind of emotion when I think about this game. I'm with you. It's kind of like, well, until we do it, man, like, uh, I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to be nervous walking all day long on Saturday, walking into the stadium. When I get in the stadium, I'm, I'm going to have, like, just the butterflies in my stomach. I'm going to want to vomit is what what it's going to feel like. I'm just telling you. But we should win the football game. But uh, And you said this, though. But So Auburn, you still think Auburn's better than Florida. But you would still have that Florida game ahead of Auburn in level of toughness just because of the situation. Yeah. Really? Even if Auburn's on the road? I mean, we've played decently at Auburn compared to how we've played at Florida. Hmm. That's true, but again, that goes back to my intellectual things. Like, Well, yeah, but I mean, intellectual right now, until we're proven wrong, does play into it. See, to me, like when I was making my list here, like to me it was no contest that Auburn was number one. Toughest game I mean, Auburn schedule. is the better team. It's the be- bigger game. I mean, uh, towards the end of the season, but between higher matched match teams. But I mean, Auburn. That, so go back to my plus minus thing, right? You take yeah. A few, I mean, they're very highly ranked and everything. I mean, I mean, they're they're plus starting to hit and everything. Yeah, they're plus one thousand two hundred seventy-seven yards on the year, whereas Florida is minus twenty-two. Like Auburn's a better football team. But I, I mean, I, I. But again, I can't argue with you too much because you're right. Like, like we had, it's. I, is it? A, I don't know if I should we believe in curses. I don't know. I don't know if that's what it is. But I think it's it's a it's a matter of head games, right? We have to be proven wrong, and that's what I really believe. I think we need to see if this team really has taken on the identity that Kirby's trying to build. Do you think this game is in our players' heads? Do you buy that? I don't truly buy it, but I think that if things start, if anything goes bad, like you said, you're going to get Florida's A game. So if they come out and score some quick points, then you don't know. It, it, the old Florida, the old Georgia may show up where they start playing undisciplined and things. I mean, just like a couple years ago, Leonard Floyd, he, all year he really hadn't been going inside. Then at the Florida game, he just can't hold the edge. Yeah, he's played undisciplined. It's like, what are you doing, dude? You haven't been doing this all year. Why are you doing it now? Yeah, I know. I mean, there's. I guess there's something to be said for that. I just, when I look at those two teams, Auburn is just, they're significantly better. And I, I know, yeah, we got the Florida curse, I guess you could say, but man, like, Auburn's just a better football team. But I will say, like, Florida does have more playmakers than they have had in years past. I mean, you know, we'll see if Tyree Cleveland's back. He probably should be back. Brandon Powell is a good little weapon for them. They got some good tight ends. Uh, Malik Davis really come on at the running back position. They've got some solid players out there. And Kadarius Tony, he's an interesting player. I mean, he's, if he's, Full go, uh, him, him and that wild gator, whatever they want to call their version of it. He's a dangerous player. He's a guy who played high school quarterback and also throw the football from that look. Uh, he, he adds an, an element of playmaking ability to that offense. But saying all that, like their quarterback play is bad though, dude, right? Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. So to me, it's like, yeah, they have some, they have better playmakers offensively than they had in years past. But when your quarterback play is still that bad, it kind of negates a lot of the other good things they have going for them offensively. And defensively, like, okay, there's, they're not, they're still. It's kind of like what we said in the preseason. They're not bad. They haven't fallen off the face of the earth, but they're not great either. I mean, they're seventh in the conference right now in yards per play, five point four yards per play. They're fiftieth nationally. But I mean, I don't know. They've, they've gone over forty yards one time offensively. Offensively, they're still kind of what they have been. They're just they're subpar offensively. I mean, they're a pretty good team. They're not great. They're not bad. They're just a decent team. But 
you're right. They are good enough to beat us if we don't play well. Um, but like, okay, so if they bring their A game and we bring our A game, who wins? I mean, it's no contest. Yeah, it's no contest. But it's a matter of, I guess, like you're saying, do we bring our A game? I, I expect them to. I expect them to bring their A game. It's just a matter if we bring ours. If we do, it shouldn't be a problem. But so if, if I put the over under at seventy percent chance of us winning this game, would you say the over or under? I go under about sixty five. Okay, so not too far under, a little bit there. Yeah, just a little. I don't know, man. I mean, I, I totally respect your opinion, but Auburn do like to me. If I'm looking at all these teams stacked up down the stretch, these five games down the stretch, I think Auburn has the best quarterback. They got the best well, running back. They got the, the best fact defense. Is that losing the Florida game makes uh, puts us in a worse situation. Where I mean, I don't want to lose Auburn, but say you lose Auburn and you beat it's not Florida, a division game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because maybe so maybe it's more pressure to beat Florida, especially with all the maybe maybe that maybe that's where the history does factor into it. it just puts pressure. And you got you want to get this monkey off your back after three in a row. I don't know, yeah, I, I I mean, I can see where you're coming from there, but again, just looking at it like Auburn, I think, has the best quarterback. they got the best running back. they got the best defense. It's on the road in, in Auburn, Alabama. And I, and I think at that point, Auburn's still going to likely be in it for the SEC West. I guess Florida still feels like they're in it for the SEC East. I mean, they still technically have a chance if they knock us off and they win out. I mean, they and if we lose one more down the stretch, which could happen if we lose at Auburn, like, they still feel like they're in this. Mathematically, they are. But... I just it's hard for me to look at that Auburn roster and that Florida roster and say that Florida's a better team. I don't know. It's tough, man. It's tough. All right. Well, so I would totally respect your opinion. So you had Kentucky in the five hole, Tech in the four hole, South Carolina third, Auburn two, Florida one. Uh, with me, what I had is I had I was with you on Kentucky. I think that's about all that we agreed on, which is cool. I had Kentucky five. I got South Carolina four. I got Florida three actually. I got Tech as the number two. I got Tech as the second toughest game left on our schedule. They are plus 810 yards in the year, which I was not expecting when I looked that up. And here's the thing. I I wasn't really expecting Tech's defensive numbers to be decent, but they're actually a respectable defense. They're, they're top 20 in total defense right now. They only give up 313 yards a game, 44th in yards per play allowed. Off, their offense does what it does, almost 450 yards a game. And just, it's a confounding offense, man. Like, yeah, our defense has been and is an excellent unit, but... I'm just not sure how much of that translates to stopping Tech because Tech because it's, I mean it's just so unlike anything that we face any other week and and you know it's going to be their Super Bowl right yeah you know it will be so that's I got Tech in the two hole for that reason although I mean I I could I, th- I think most people would have Auburn Florida in that top two slot there but I think Tech might actually end up being a little tougher than Florida and then of course I got Auburn to me for Auburn it was a no contest but you made some fair points I can, I can respect that I can respect that. All right, guys. Well, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA Podcast. I know it was a little bit of an abbreviated show, but we didn't have a game to recap like we normally would on Mondays. We'll be back later this week, so make sure to check us out. We'll have a mailbag show on Wednesday, and on Thursday we'll obviously have our game preview for the huge matchup in Jacksonville, which could let us, if, if we win, big if right now, but if we win that game, uh, will give us a commanding lead in the SEC East race right now. So, Definitely check back in with us, guys. We always appreciate you listening to the show. We really do. Uh, we wouldn't have this show at all if it wasn't for you guys listening. So we appreciate it. Uh, but for Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs. <laughs>